0: Attention, please. Attention, please. We are investigating an alarm condition. Please await further announcements. And had a nice little. little um text chat with Steve Wang a, a little while ago today is his birthday
1: oh wow oh happy birthday so steve I, wang that's so awesome so
0: I, so I so i wished steve a, a happy birthday and we chatted for a little bit
1: excellent stuff yeah and he, he's he's doing yes. well
0: you know cons- all all things considered in the in the state of the world
1: the yeah it's a it's crazy
0: a, it's world we're we're living on it's kind of like stop the world i want to get off
1: yeah it's a bumpy road you need you need good suspension to deal with it, um, for sure. Yeah, no, it, it's 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 it is tricky. I've been um, using my Cintiq this week, so I've been using yeah. this little headstand thing you want me to put my nice. pen. This is quite cool. Nice. Uh,
0: I sent one to Maddie Spencer also. I haven't. I, I hope she's gotten I haven't heard from her. Uh, I know she's crazy busy. Yeah, I bet she um, is. So, but if you got you got yours, I'm I'm sure I'm she got sure hers. That. So she must have. Very so, cool. I hope she's getting getting some use out of it also send her a, a little the little conjoined fetal skulls that i think I oh i think you'll love that I, when, when i was over there yep, it seems to fit right in with her her sensibilities yeah and, and her menagerie of, of weirdness
1: well you know in a world where so much communication is done online and there's so much virtual stuff and people reading ebooks and blah 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 it's nice to know that there are still people that appreciate the, the tactile thing, and that's the whole thing about making stuff, isn't it? It's the yeah. tactile yeah, sensation I, yeah. of things.
0: Yeah, well, that's you know I've said before. The whole reason I switched from visual effects to practical effects is because I'm a tactile person. I think I think most visual artists are uh, in in one way or another tactile people. You know, you like the the feel of the media that you're working on, whether it's charcoal or acrylic paints or even even doing digital things you know you're still holding the stylus and you're you're physically moving your hand to, to create the artwork even though it's not a physical art piece it's still something that you're doing with your hands
1: yeah yeah it's interesting actually there's that, that one that, that, that was something i wanted to talk about before we get onto our our part one of our interview for this episode um was there was a a message came up on one of the forums, about whether sculpting digitally was still sculpting, because obviously sculpting is typically maneuvering materials by hand yeah, in a yeah. physical world, because that's all that it's, was available, and now obviously it's very sculpt definitely
0: thing. sculpting. It's not programming. I mean, no. Programming allows you to sculpt digitally, but the act itself is not programming. You're not typing zeros and ones.
1: No, on yeah, it's an interesting one, that, because it's, because, like, my argument with it is, like, if you write a novel and you type it, does it, is it any less a novel because you didn't write it with a biro on a legal pad? Or right, or a, a
0: quill dipped, in, dipped yeah. in
1: blood. But that's precisely the point, I think, because over time the act of writing has changed. You you went from scratching in dirt to making clay tablets to papyrus to, you know, vellum, whatever, uh-huh. stretched skin to paper to to digital. It's a kind of a, a natural progression. And at every stage, the act of writing has always been coming up with plots and all that kind of stuff. And it gets easier if you can type stuff up, but that doesn't relieve you of your responsibility as a writer to write sure
0: I, rem- I remember when when the ibm selectric typewriter came out with the, you know the little ball with all the
1: yeah, letters it just kind on of it pumps and the the z- paper spins
0: around and and it, it automatically will correct mistyped letters
1: at this point i just want to play the sound of that very typewriter working away cuz it's pretty awesome
0: I'm sure there are people going.
1: What are you talking what's,
0: about? What's <laughs> what's a what are you, what's a IBM Selectric? What's a typewriter?
1: Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah so,
0: mean, you, you need to make copies. You used carbon paper,
1: and there was some charm in that. But I think I mean I really like the fact that I can type stuff in Word and print it, and if I want to change something, I don't have to write the whole document again. I can just tweak it. Oh yeah, well,
0: it's it's certainly made you know from my point of view you know for writing a book, it's certainly made the editing process easier because you you can put these review tabs and you can track your changes so you know what's new and what what you're deleting and you can make comments uh, it's it's made the editing process so much easier yeah it's still a pain in the ass but it's a whole lot easier than it i imagine it was you know 75 years ago
1: yeah this is the thing but I think with the sculpting thing, it's interesting because I still enjoy the tactile sensation of things. But I have to say, in the last year or so, certainly, I've started using ZBrush more for certain things and printing things more. But in a way that they're still being used with physical objects. I'm still, it's mm-hmm. only part of the process for me. My, my, my job doesn't stop and start with that. It's just, it's just a means to get to an end. And I, I've been exploring the conflicted feelings I have around that sensation, having been so resistant to using digital stuff for so long because I couldn't use Xero pro- properly and I didn't have a printer and all this kind of stuff. And over yeah, the last well, few I'm, years. I'm in the changed. same boat.
0: Hmm? But I don't think, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the same boat that way. But I don't think um, now that with the advent of, of scanner technology, getting better and better and prices dropping similar to the way 3D printers were just a few years ago. Mm. Uh, I don't think the ability to digitally scan an actor's head and print out a core uh, on a resin printer that you modified in ZBrush is going to take the place of physically life casting with silicone or alginate anytime in the foreseeable future. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, may, maybe I, you know.
1: I mean, it might do, but this is this is the, the 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 issue I have. If if you're doing a life cast with silicon, no one would say, "Oh, you're cheating." You should be using moulage. <laughs> how hygienic? Do you know what I mean. So it's like, yeah. but that's how we used to do it, and things change. And I think, I think it's a difficult one when new things come along, especially if if an industry adopts. Processes a certain way and you don't I've, I've heard this from a, f- a fair few people but what I think that the conversation I had with Sangi a few years back something that he said that really stuck with me was to not deify the process so how prosthetics are made there are, there are mm-hmm. we you know we love the way that things have been done in the past and obviously the people like Dick Smith and Gordon Smith and you know they've, they, they've, they've developed um, processes and materials and techniques that we use all the time but if you hold them in such high esteem that you you don't do anything new yourself because you're just doing what has been shown to you in the past that's very limiting right. that's very limiting especially if there are young whippersnappers coming up who use these things without that luggage you know they're not they don't have I that I think baggage. it's
0: the same in across many industries you know there are woodworkers who who relish the old school ways of doing tongue and groove and and doing mm-hmm. things the way the pioneers did, Mm -hmm. uh, to, to create fine furniture that is, you know, unquestionably spectacular when you see some of the finished pieces done using these ancient methods, but that doesn't, I think, take anything away from, uh, tools like the shaper or, uh, you know, CNC machines where you can cut out and do these precise things, with technology instead of old old school hand tools, the the end result is the same.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, there is certainly uh, the the ability to be able to do that is an important skill. But if you're competing with... I mean, if you're repairing something or fixing something that needs that, that's good. But if you're mass producing something and that's your living, you're not going to be able to make enough quick enough if everybody else is using CNC machines. Right. So by definition, you'll just get run out of town. So you have to adopt adapt or die um but at the same time
0: it's not not one way or the other
1: no exactly that it's it's more a case that it's it's using both it's like for me using zbrush and and printing things just allows me to do more sophisticated sculpts and better stuff basically with what i know Um, yeah and
0: the more you use it the better you get at it and you can like we've we've talked about um Using ZBrush and layers to mock up uh, ideas for for different character makeups using ZBrush and layers in the same amount of you know four or five different ones yeah. in the same amount of time it would take you to use it push clay around on a life cast yes yeah and wh- I no, mean it it comes down to working smart not hard yeah and you know learn it the learning curve aside from the the amount of time and, and effort it takes you to get to a level where you can do that, yes,
1: but that that is actually not as, much as you think. That happens with anything,
0: you know. If you've never used a hammer and tried to pound a nail into a piece of wood, yeah, you're probably gonna lose a, a thumbnail or, or two trying to get really good at pounding a nail and hitting it once, and it's done.
1: Well, that's true. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, th- those manual skills, those hand-eye coordination skills, they, they're, they're just as hard-earned. But there's nothing yeah. wrong with, with knowing those and also having a screwdriver and a power drill in your toolkit for when it's necessary. To do, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a tricky one. But I've, I've, I've definitely noticed that you are working now as well in an industry where that is the norm in a lot of areas. So times that you have to work on things have shortened essentially, in a lot of areas. Yeah. So if you don't have the means to thrash out five or six designs digitally in order to burn out all the ones you're not going to need and get to the one you will so you can start sculpting, then you're stuck with just sculpting them manually at greater cost and greater yeah, well, time. A lot, of it,
0: a lot of it has to deal with budgetary constraints well. That's well, that's
1: it, yeah. It's, it's all very different. It's, it's an interesting one. So I think for all of that, I think it's kind of inevitable that that's going to come in. It's just whether or not we think that's still... Sculpting, But I guess that depends on, on your definition of what you think sculpting is. Because in the past, sculpting has been one thing. But that's because that was all that was available. If, if Michelangelo had a fucking Cintiq, you bet your bottom dolly would have fucking used it. Well, you know. Yeah,
0: or if he'd had a Dremel.
1: Exactly. So just give it another 300 years and, and no one be thinking about it. Like you think about the word driving. That was presumably originally for driving horses or driving a chariot. Mm-hmm. And now that refers to driving a car. You don't have to specify that it is a car you're driving because it's so commonplace that most people who drive are driving cars. They're not driving cattle because <laughs> it's not practical when you're trying to pop to J C JCPenney's. So, um, yeah, so it's an interesting... Conversation and like I say, this this conflict I have with loving the 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 old school techniques and the traditional ways of doing things. But in the last year, like I say, I've kind of turned a few corners where it's really helped me to do things digitally. And so I'm just kind of interested how that's going to start manifesting itself in. A lot of schools where they don't necessarily teach this yet because it's all well, that's digital stuff. That's digital stuff. It doesn't. Yeah, no. Years. I and I,
0: I, think that's it's inevitable, and that is right around the corner. When when I was over uh, for the prosthetics event and I was down at Falmouth, and then you and I were up at Bolton, they were already incorporating 3D scanning and printing into their programs. Yeah, and they're probably among the the first universities to do so
1: yeah well i think it's that hybrid thing isn't it that that was a word that was used recently in the magazine like hybrid artists that are doing some stuff digitally some stuff practically mm-hmm. or, or they're comfortable enough in both that they can decide which thing they want to use and i think that's the way to go where you start well, putting the, the things you need
0: it, it's along the same lines of of practical effects shops now having um digital departments visual effects departments in-house also mm. so there's there's less chance of miscommunication between shops doing the practical effects and those doing the digital effects. It's all under one roof. Yeah. And it's basically one-stop shopping for production. Yes.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a sensible way because as well, the practical, or if it's in the same department, that department can make a better call about whether something should be digital, practical, or a mix rather than right. just trying to argue it out in a meeting you know where you got two warring factions the, the the CGI department and the or the visual effects department and the practical and yeah, I, just just you know.
0: because you can do something digitally doesn't always mean that you should
1: yeah but also if if you, know, you if, have to
0: take you have to take everything into consideration yeah
1: well i think as well that the fact that there was a time where that was a separate department then there was a reason for them to try and secure that business whereas now i'm of the belief that there's so much visual effects or there are so many visual effects elements, even in non effect stuff, just changing the color of the mm-hmm. sky or making the ground look yeah. less wet or whatever after a rainstorm, they're not looking for more stuff to do. They would, they're all going to be in pretty much every shot. So yeah. do you know what I mean? If you can do something very well practically, it makes perfect sense to do so because it's one less thing to have to do. Whereas I think early on, it did feel like they were trying to get as much work as possible, whereas now I think it's just tacit, the visual effects and department. And I think for the most part, there.
0: still practical... Uh, effects are less expensive than digital ones to produce.
1: Yeah, I agree. And there's at a the, lot of at stuff. the
0: same level of quality.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff you get for free because they're shot in camera. Even if it's reference, you know, there, there's something in that that can be mm-hmm. used. So there's still value in having it. But um, yeah, that you makes know, it I, the two. I did a movie.
0: True. I, I, I did, uh, did the effects on a movie um, 2008, I think, maybe. Um, that... They streamlined production because they didn't halt. I mean, they were shooting uh, on location all over all over Denver, and they didn't halt production when you know a motorcycle would drive by or a helicopter would be overhead. You know, when you'd have to hold sound because of background elements that got in the way. Yeah. They wound up they looped the entire film afterwards, so they were able to just bang 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 get all of their shots out without having to stop. For these distractions, mm-hmm. uh, and then they just ADR'd all of the dialogue, right? Down the road, that you know, granted that's that's an added expense, but you weigh that against the, the time off, lost yeah. by you know holding for an hour out of an entire day because of traffic noises and and aircraft and whatever. Yeah, it, it balances out.
1: I've, I've definitely seen how, how the practical stuff and the digital stuff have worked together. Because in my head, as someone that is mostly practical, it's only when I'm thinking, oh, that'll be really quick to just bang that out. And pr-. Like, like, for example, uh, cores. You know, um, uh, the idea that you know you can prepare your cores digitally and then, then print one up, you know, right. and then remold it and stuff.
0: And I think that actually is is faster than if you're trying to clay up a core where you're doing a corrected thing with clay because you got to smooth out the clay you got to wait for it to dry and blah 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 and if you're doing it digitally you can get that same level of nice finesse on the edge with a with a a, a gentle gradation flare out and
1: boom done off to the printer well uh, the other thing is as well like it like my situation if you've got more than one printer you could print the core and you can print the jacket for the silicon at the same time Right. And then, you know, pop them together and then just float it with silicone. And something I've seen that, that I think is interesting is when I've looked at, because um, obviously when I bought my printers, like everybody, I know nothing about it. So I'm going to make silly mistakes. So I go onto to web forums and Facebook groups to try and, you know, find out what's going on. Um, and I've seen some very interesting uh, molding questions crop up where loads of people are printing things, but then they want to make molds of them. And so they'll have printed this creature and it's got all these horns on it and stuff so they're coming at it from a from a hobby point of view where they, they can press print and they can render this amazing thing they got off the, of thingiverse but they haven't approached it from a mold making point of view where you go well that would be so much easier to mold in three parts if you just sliced it in, like I would with a sculpt and it's so mm-hmm. easy to cut things up in mesh mixer which is a free program you know and 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 split them up into different models um, and do that kind of stuff so there is a real need for molding skills and stuff when you do those kind of things which is absent from if you if you've come from a printing background because you don't think in terms of molds because you're dealing with separate things so it's really good to yeah, have you don't,
0: that You that. don't notice all of the undercuts uh, and and holes where the, you can't just mold that because you'll never get it get them separated
1: Yeah, and you could, you could for example like if I'm going to put uh, pins uh, as risers on the tips of horns, well you could actually you know, cut the perfect hole that you need in the horn in the modeling stage so that it prints with the hole ready for the needle rather than trying to drill a one mil hole in the tip of a horn (laughs) you know right and and stuff like that so it's just little things that that, that'd be a
0: good skill to have it
1: is but it's just like but that's what i mean and and you could get it dead center without the risk of cutting into your fingers and without breaking a, a, a dremel you know drill bit by actually just yeah. making that part of the print and that's what i'm saying so it's, it's knowing those both of those things and then you can utilize that to to your advantage
0: oh yeah no i've 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 broken off some some tiny drill bits trying to do vent holes in in stone stone jackets a number of times because yeah. it's virtually impossible to do sometimes
1: <laughs> well
0: at least for at least for todd yeah
1: Tough for Todd, um, but uh, yeah, but I, 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 yeah, so I'm kind of, I, I'm pleased with myself for the fact that I'm able to use these tools more efficiently all the time, and I'm I'm learning things quicker because once there's a certain amount of stuff you can do, then suddenly filling in the blanks becomes easier because you understand the terminology that's used to describe how to solve the problem. So, so there's a kind of an exponential rise which I'm enjoying. But I'm also, when this question came up, I suddenly sort of analysed myself like. You know, have I forgotten all this? And uh, do I do I feel guilty about being interested in the digital stuff as well? And I don't think I am because I think, like you know, these are just the tools that are available to us. But give it twenty yeah. years, I don't think anyone will will, will will think. Just like if you take a photo now, of course it's a digital camera, unless otherwise stated.
0: Well, it comes back to what Jake said when when we were talking at at the prosthetics event. Um, the more you can do, the more you get to do.
1: Yeah. So I think it's worth exploring. It just—it's one of those things. I think with, with with digital stuff is I think you you have to get enough back from it to want to pursue it. And I have been nibbling at the edges for like I say about ten years before this really kicked in. So I feel like I've paid mm-hmm. my dues in terms of worry, <laughs> but I'm annoyed with myself for not getting over it earlier because it's it's made life a little well, easier. Well, just
0: since just since um, I was working on the the third edition of my book. Uh, and added the chapter on 3D printing for prosthetics and animatronics, I have learned so much more than I learned just in researching that chapter Mm. that for the fourth edition, I'm really excited about updating that chapter because I personally, uh, my skill levels have grown so much more than, than when I was initially doing the research that I think now I have... A lot more to share as as do you and and i'm gonna make you be part of it cool, man. uh then then with the third edition so the fourth edition is gonna be that's gonna be a, a a bodacious chapter
1: awesome well i think there's also something quite heartwarming about the fact like, listen if i can do it <laughs> promise me you can do it exactly exactly
0: <laughs> it's it's my mantra if todd can do it anybody can do it
1: because I think that was something that uh, it was weirdly I think it was Steve Wang when we were over in um in uh, in LA and we we chatted to him uh on the podcast about that and it was it was really a therapy session for me to get past my sea brush hang up oh yeah and and that was the moment you listen back to that that was the moment where it kind of the string snapped in my head I was like oh yeah because I felt like there was this ship that sailed and I wasn't on it no fear It's like no no, it just gets better. Go for it. And yeah. it's ready for when you are. <laughs> it's literally it. <laughs> Get over yourself I'm like, Oh yeah. I honestly thought it was like, No, it's too late now. I'm gonna dig my hills in. So um so yeah, so that I'm I'm excited about that. So our guests on this f we, we've had to split this up into two, partly because it's quite a long chat, but also there's two very distinct parts of the conversation. I would say the second mm-hmm. part is very interesting but in a different way. So this first part is more about old school effects chat.
0: Yeah. A couple of amazing guys. Ian oh, Morse and, uh, and Cliff Wallace. I am I am a
1: fanboy. <laughs> we had a great time. We And what I'm really yeah. pleased about this is that we recorded this at Cliff's workshop. That was nice. It,
0: which he calls his man cave, because he, he, for some reason he doesn't think of it as much of a workshop anymore. Um, I disagree.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: but did I actually... I, I did I send you, do you? Did I give you copies of all the photographs I took?
1: Yes, and there'll be these there. will be on the notes and on the blog because, post. Holy episode. shit! Yeah,
0: does he have some cool stuff there?
1: Yeah, he does have an amazing, amazing collection of things. Um, yeah. So we'll put those pictures up. But yeah, the whole place is crammed with uh, with creatures and stuff. And it was it was a moody lighting. We're in a big round table, and there's light where we were, and there's just shadows of creatures. It was cold. Creatures. Yeah.
0: Outside. I just had a punch. and then out. we and then we went to a. Pub. Oh
1: yeah, I was just <laughs> thinking about that. I had a flat tire on the way there. It was the most annoying thing, by the side of yeah. the road in the pitch black, trying to fix this fucking wheel that wasn't having it. Yeah, but, yeah, but
0: then we went to the pub afterwards and uh, got some beers. And Guinness makes everything better.
1: That's true enough. Yeah, so that was cool. That was very cool. And
0: Chinese food.
1: Yes. Yeah, it was a good combination. The, like I say, this first one is more about the old school kind of um how they started out and their jobs and all that kind of stuff and the things they worked on early doors the next episode which is going to come up soon is the second part of the conversation which is more about the business end of things and the company they started together mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff and how that went uh, but
0: the these stuff. cliff and ian are two amazing talents that i don't think get nearly enough recognition for their contributions to the industry
1: yeah no I maybe think that's that true. maybe
0: that's just maybe that's just me um but they're between the two of them they've got to have close to 100 years of experience making making and and that that makes them sound old because they're not
1: they're they're younger than i am um they just started early
0: yeah they just started early and oh my god what a track record
1: yeah well it's very cool i mean this is one of the privileges of doing this podcast is that you get to chat to people who i know um you know have, have, have got stuff under their belt, but uh, a lot of people haven't heard of that, that really should, so we get to put that out and, and, and say, hey, look at this work, the people that, you know, look at the things that they've done, check out the movies that they worked on 30 years ago, you know. Um, yeah, you
0: know, I, I've, I've known Ian's name for, for a number of years, but this was the first time we had met in person yeah. mean, at the prosthetics event, um, and I met Cliff uh, back when I was working on, on the first edition of the book, so we've known each other for, for several years, but I was still, you know, I just in awe to be sitting there, listening to them talk about these these shows that we all grew up
1: watching. Yeah, it was amazing watching your face. There was a few times where he would sort of wistfully go off on one and then he kind of look at you as if like you were bored and you were like on the edge of your seat, like tell me more. <laughs> it was amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was it was fantastic.
1: Yeah. This is our chat with Ian and Cliff. Check it out. You ever get stressed, Cliff? On a job?
3: Yeah, I do actually. I worry about things a lot more than I used to. Um you know, I I mean I'm a fairly laid back person anyway. But uh, but yeah, I do I do worry about things more. Running than jobs though is
1: stressful. I mean there's so
3: much to worry about. Yeah, I mean that's why I don't generally do it <laughs> anymore. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot better to have someone else do that for you. Been there, done that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's only there's only so much you can do. Oh, I love mean. being on set, but
0: I hate getting up at three o'clock in the morning.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I th- if I think if if a makeup takes longer than three hours to put on, you've designed it wrong. Personally. Yeah, those. Having, having just spent <laughs> many
1: weeks doing four and a half hour makeups. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it is that intricate, and sometimes you go when you see what's done. You could have, that could have been a mask. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> most, of <laughs> most of the time. What it was, most
3: of the time. Yeah, which is a shame.
1: So we should say. So we're in
3: your workshop, Cliff, surrounded well, it's, by it, ghoulish things. Yeah, it's my man cave these days. I mean, it doesn't Ian's really, it doesn't right really there. function as a workshop anymore. Does it not? No. Well, I mean, it's, I, not long since I had a job in a cliff. Is well, it. it uh, I think the last, the last job that we did in here was for a film that never happened which was about last christmas right um but before that i had a spate of doing these uh, there was a there was a spate of feminist horror movies and i seem to be their go-to man for some reason <laughs> um, what's so a feminist just, horror movie well the movie when I, all the men get destroyed <laughs> yes <laughs> basically in that that's that's slow pretty and disgusting that's way. pretty much it uh, they, they were that's very much smash the patriarchy it's fair enough uh, to try and redress the <laughs> movies because it's been Women getting <laughs> yeah. to pieces for long enough, as well. So I, d- I did about three, and it seemed a very short time. It was probably about a year. Mm. Um, but generally, I don't uh, run this place as a going concern anymore. I got in the industry to make horror movies. I love horror movies. I would still rather be making little small, low-budget horror movies than working on the latest Marvel film, you know. They seem um, to have the
0: most freedom to really explore the genre.
3: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, Do you have
0: a favourite that you've that horror you've done?
3: movies? Gosh, um, no. I mean, you know, I l- the th- the sort of things I like are, are are obviously the the sort of classics. I like *Preach* from the Black Lagoon. I like obviously like the f- the films that got me into this in the eighties. Things like *The Howling* and mm-hmm. uh, *American Werewolf* and *The Thing* and *Video Game*, especially it's like a Night*. Huge. The original Fright Night, Fright Night, yeah, a little bit, I guess. I um, that movie. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm anything in the '80s. <laughs> I yeah, g- I guess I loved, um, but I also loved a lot of a lot of sort of the early British things, you know, sort of Amicus and Tegon things, mm-hmm. and and obviously Hammer things. Yeah. Um, I th- I think I remember the Hammer and the Wicker Man ones. and Blood on Satan's Claw was always my favourite. Which I still love. I think it's a great movie. I don't think I've seen that. I, oh, you should see that. Fantastic it soundtrack. Yeah, I mean I mean I'm sure someone's remaking it as we speak probably. <laughs> Speaking of soundtracks,
0: we really dug the soundtrack on oh,
3: 28. 28 days later. Oh yeah, absolutely. That we watched earlier
0: today.
1: Yeah. So to refresh
0: written, our memory yeah.
3: in, in in preparation for today. We should yeah, yeah, it. Well, so I think I enjoyed it more sorry, this, this time. More <laughs> we should We we should have done. I haven't seen it for a long time actually. Um, what are your memories? Yeah, of that? I mean, yeah. I mean, da- Danny Boyle obviously is a is a huge music fan, and um, and yeah, a great great soundtrack.
1: But it was used well as well because it really helped the story along. Yeah. It wasn't just slotted in. Yeah, I in mean his the, background.
3: The, the the Brian Eno tracker mm. really yeah uh, really works for me.
4: It's gone quiet. It has gone quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I <I'm> try <trying laughs> to remember who did the.
3: Well, it was un- there's a lot of underworld. Isn't it's it, Godspeed, isn't, there? isn't it? You Black oh, it's Emperor. Godspeed, to Black Emperor. Yeah,
1: that's the main big thing. Though, yeah, though. it's the, it's yeah. the main.
3: Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's
1: clever. He's clever with picking things, mm. but just using in the right way as well, moving yeah. the story along. Yeah, and it was weird how like the editing is so like you never you, you always feel like you're on your on your toes, like you never get to relax. It's always twisting and turning. Yeah, turn, yeah and I, no. I was
0: feel anxious through
1: the whole thing. Yeah, of yeah I mean it was, it it's was because the yeah. pacing the, the, and the
3: whole the whole sort of idea of the film that was that it was all going to sh- be shot on very cheap cameras. Um, very which cheap it was. Shot, which it was, but they did spend a great deal of time lighting it very, yeah. <laughs> very, uh, mm-hmm. very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, but all those shots of uh, all those shots of deserted London, you know, which were really achieved because um, everyone had a camera and they just went and stood on various buildings at three o'clock in the morning um i was wondering how they did it because yeah and, like and westminster uh, bridge yeah what? and and danny's daughter and a few of her mates um stood at the end of the streets and with a a full of tenors and and gave people tenors not to go down there for five minutes you know so it was, wow. it, was yeah. it was done very much on the fly uh, all that stuff yeah and that stuff was shot some months before actually the the, the main film Wow. Um, so they knew they had that stuff in the bag. I wonder if anyone was
1: doing that shot. in lockdown, like like shooting. Yeah, in <laughs> the fact, well, the, the, well, the you,
3: you know, I th- you've probably seen Dave Elsie's film that you worked on. Yeah. Oh, there's some. There's yeah, some yeah, great yeah. stuff yeah. in that. Yeah. That's that's kind of very reminiscent. I thought. Of, yeah. the, of 28 Days Later. Very cool. Yeah. Amazing. There was
0: a lot of stuff in that day of, uh, I think after seeing this now and when when zillion uh, wakes up in the hospital mm-hmm. kind of in the same physical position as one of the chimpanzees that was in the lab yeah. at yeah. the beginning um i think the walking dead used that whole sequence oh, as gosh, kind of an yeah. homage to when rick wakes up in the hospital yeah
3: i mean um you know 28 days later was responsible for kicking off that whole zombie genre again really Mm. i mean even though we weren't allowed to say the Z word at the time um you know i when i got this the script through which was um by alex garland um you know i I said to danny well you know this is this is basically a this is basically a zombie movie (laughs) written by jg ballard you know because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of ballard stuff in there as well and i'm a great fan of fan of ballard Right. Um, in fact, the the lead character is called Jim Ballard. So there's a giveaway right there. <laughs> oh you know, wow, that's that, cool. That people don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember hearing his last no, name. No, no, no. You never hear his last name but unless it was it's something the credits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh my god. But but there's a lot of sort of high rise and a lot of uh, a lot of crash and concrete island in uh, mm. in that, and a lot of Day of the Dead, of course, as well. Oh my gosh. So you know which which Danny had never again. seen. Danny yeah. hadn't seen a lot of these zombie movies. He wasn't familiar with with that at all. So he didn't really he didn't really know the places that, <laughs> that the thing had been lifted from. Yeah. And there's a lot of uh, you know John Wyndham and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so I got that that
1: vibe. That whole yeah. um, Triffids vibe. Yeah,
3: de- definitely a Triffids. Thing. Yeah, I don't which
1: don't I love know. the BBC. Have you seen the BBC Triffids? No, I have show? not. Though, really though the
0: last time I was here, I remember Rob Mayer was working on some some triffid prosthetic pieces oh right
1: right oh yeah maybe they re- did they redo they, re- they must have remade it
0: yeah because he was working on some uh, some
1: little some kind of little wound triffid right. wounds,
0: mm-hmm. and that was 2009
1: yeah i read i read the uh, de- i read day of the triffids and i am legend in the same month and it was <laughs> It was quite devastating, was just, you know, it was like how lockdown made you feel, but like 10 years before that.
4: Well, I tell a story. I mean, I, how, how I got into the industry was that I went to Wimbledon,
1: like you did. Yes. Anita well, did- Rowcroft went to Wimbledon. Really? Yes. Did she, what course did she do? Same course, the Technical Arts Interpretation. When was she there? She Three years after me, so she must have graduated, she must have joined in 95, Okay. Yeah. Because it was really, that. it was a really
4: good course when I was there, the, both a the sculpture and a painting course. Did you have Val Charlton
1: there when you were there?
4: No, she after after I was there. Right. So I, 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 mean, obviously, I wanted to get into 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 films. I was obsessed with makeup and stuff. But I didn't know how to, do, and there was no courses. Yeah. So someone talked to me at school said, "Why don't you do theatre design? Because it's near, and there's mould making, and it's kind of designy." So I kind of got talked
1: into it. So did they have the design course and the interpretation course? Or the no. interpretation course hadn't started yet? No. Which was the making side, of things. Yeah. So did both.
0: So you came at it more from a theatre discipline? Well, it was
4: literally theatre design. Yeah. Uh, st- straight down the line. Which was really useful because scene painting was really useful. Yes. To t- have a technical kind of like um, approach to something. Yes. So know I did that and I wanted to get into films and I really didn't know how. Had I been more aware of how to do it, I w- there's because... The kid of my course, Richard Padbury, got onto um, Jedi. I could have got into that route, but I didn't know how. So anyway, was, I was making props somewhere, and I was working with a guy called Jim Sands, and he was much more clued into what was going on. He'd worked on Labyrinth, and he just said one day, "If you really want to get in, I think there's this shop, there's this film, little shop of horrors, coming in, um, and I'm going for an interview on it." And I just, on the back of him knowing where to go and what to do, yeah. Went for a, an interview job and I wanted to be a sculptor because that's what I thought I did at the time. So I went for this interview with Lyle Conway and um, he looks at my portfolio and literally the stuff I had was all stuff I did for jobs. So it was also like sculpting um, big spoons for cats or dustbin lids or something. And it really wasn't that. Applied. And did you get to
1: do all of it? Did you sculpt and mold and yeah. all that, the yeah. whole thing? So yeah. you were like, a just stuff too, yeah,
4: yeah. Um, And he said no, sorry, it's not really a job for you sculpting. So as I just as I'm walking out the room, thinking okay, he said, do you know anything about foam? And I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah." I know how to make foam, thinking it was polyfoam. Because I made (laughs) made loads of stuff for the theatre. And he said, I'll come back. Yeah. So so I ended up being assist a foam assistant on it for um, for little shop. And at the same time, we had a we had a shop. The foam shop was obviously away from the from the as these things always are. It was away from the um, from the main creature shop. Whereabouts it was, at, was it? At Shepparton? No, it was at Pinewood. Pinewood. And they were doing aliens at the same time, so we we, we did stuff for aliens as well.
1: That's pretty cool.
4: As was um, assistant to a girl called Sue Higgins, who, who'd been Tom McLaughlin's girlfriend, so she'd kind of learned how to do foam from Tom,
3: and I learned from her, so that was really quite useful.
0: Wow. That's, that's pretty close to the top.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and no, I, I I came across Tom McLaughlin fairly early too because I, I used to write to her who was doing makeup effects shows in England, yeah. um, and say, so can I come down and visit your workshop? And the first person who replied to me was Rick Baker, um, who was over here doing Greystoke, and I went to see him, and he introduced me to Tom, who was doing not only the Greystoke stuff but the Life Force stuff at the same time, I think, mm-hmm. and Tom said you know this is foam latex this is how you do it you know you can buy it off me so <laughs> I used to buy all my foam latex stuff off Tom that's
1: mad and now he's just known for silicon really isn't
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> silicon finishing powder and all that kind yeah of stuff.
1: yeah mm. I think he sold the
0: the foam stuff mm. completely mm.
1: Mm. I mean, I well he,
4: he kind of like got the the, the chemical people to, to mill his chemicals and I don't think they really understand what they're doing they just they just they just have his formula I think and sure this is Aquaspersions and they just make the stuff mm-hmm. and they don't really do kits because they don't really know how to,
1: to. Aquaspersions still going. Yeah. Cause they, did they supply all the stuff for and Image? Am I thinking yeah. about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I think we used to get that at image at uh, Animated Extras because I was a foam runner on Mary Riley and I'm pretty sure that's where the stuff came from.
0: Do you guys get any of the US stuff like, like a uh, Monster Makers foam? Or we do now. Do you?
3: yeah I'm used to have you used, to have you used to, it what do you think of it i mean we're talking 35 years ago here so yeah it <laughs> yeah. was pretty yeah pretty simple. but I they were m- they were
4: they were good moscow kits i think
3: yeah, yeah. And yes i might have been
4: but it was it was it didn't we really worked very well i think because we never had sunbeam mixers i think was a big difference yeah
1: we had mm. the big mm. hobarts
4: and came yeah, with, no well, it was well. was all the big stuff always worked, but the, the actual get instructions that came with the GMs never, never worked. Beam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had to, you had to, you had to reformulate it. Really,
1: uh, I think running foam is one of those jobs that if you can do it, is that did you find yourself doing that a lot because it was something that either other people were reluctant to do or once you get good at it, it's like, well, why will we send someone in who doesn't know it's going to work? we send sending Ian because you know how to do it do you know what I mean so you kind of get trapped or yeah did you don't feel that way about it no
4: because? I was pretty trapped doing it but happy uh, now. But, but happy to be working really yeah and also, this is where I met, met Cliff because we were running stuff at um, Pinewood and we were away and he used to come and visit didn't you?
3: yeah I think probably the first time I met you when you were doing a Little Shop and Aliens I think I came in a couple of times to that foam lab with the moulds for Rawhead Rex which was <laughs> the film first film that I've worked on uh it's delicious I love and, and that going. was being uh that was being covertly run in the same lab <laughs> the notes for this podcast are going to be really cool
1: yeah okay, i'll just <laughs> I'll be right in every five seconds sorry i'm just getting fizzy pants listening to all this it's very good keep going
4: there was there was one day when we, we had the raw hand rex thing in the oven mold in the oven and it was a big walking oven it's quite massive and um some big wiggers came around and also lyle conway came around and also i think stan wilson came around as well so they all sort of come in the same morning and we had to sing if we found out we're gonna get in trouble and at one point i kind of was like walking over towards the door was open of the oven and i sort of fell against the door to close it so no one could see there was a very obviously different looking
1: mold in there
4: from from plant molds
1: yeah oh dear lord that's amazing. Oh,
4: I mean, maybe it would I don't know what would have happened. It would seem quite generally all right to, to do the little shop and 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 the, and the alien stuff at the same time.
3: Yeah. Well, at least they were both in the same studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
4: were well, they both Warner <laughs> Brothers? No, no, <laughs> I don't know. no. not no, no. Yeah. I don't know how we got paid. I guess it was was kind of like because we get we're getting money from the little shop. I guess I. Th- I think we were probably getting i d- uh, Yeah, I doubt
3: if you were getting paid for Rohe Rex. <laughs> I think we did. <laughs> You've got probably, something. You probably got a couple of hundred quid in your back pocket back I would back, think yeah. I digestive biscuits. So probably I think. not that much.
1: <laughs> so that was so that was an amazing I and mean, that was a big deal. Um, Little Shop of Horrors, like the the whole puppeteering of those <laughs> plants for a first the film, phenomenal. Yeah,
4: and also everybody everybody at one point uh, had to puppeteer. Right. It was just generally accepted that they were puppeteers. There so were like ten of them, and very good ones, you know. Yeah. But so just it was generally accepted that you do a bit of puppeteering. So and I've always puppeteered ever since then, really, because I did a bit on that, and uh,
1: which was quite lucky. They're so, awesome. and they were quite. I mean, it's like a who's who of the industry that was in that. I and mean, yes. David White was there, and yeah. Nick
4: Williams. Was Dave Elsie's first job? Right. Danny I mean, Parker was on it. That's right. Yeah. 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 Neil mm. Scanlon was, was, was chafing up the animatronics.
1: Wow. That was so, quite something. I mean, is there, is there any footage of like the whole behind-the-scenes stuff? Because that puppeteer. I remember seeing some video years ago animated of them like you know operating like Riggan. And it, it's quite a performance to see all these people yeah. making the full-size Audrey do its thing. It's like, yeah. well, well, because a lot of movement. Even there.
0: for the theater productions, you know, the, the big Audrey is, is quite, a, quite a feat of puppetry.
4: I mean, it was the first real proper film sets I'd seen really, mm. in 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 you know for, for for as a job, and they were all legged up. I mean, every 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 the shop was all like six foot above ground so that people could walk underneath. And I just thought that's how things were. I didn't realize it was, you know, it was very very special because the director was a was a puppeteer, mm. and um, that's how they worked. And it was very very clever. Yeah. I mean, very you know all, all around getting these plants to look good you know so it was the whole production was more or less based on that really yeah and they had been a successful stage show so i guess they knew what they were doing and i was like for most of a year i think between the two of them was my, quite my nice wife's
0: room. getting ready to music direct a theater production a little shop um that's going to open after the first of the year, year. Okay. and she's done it done it a couple of times before and i'm um, hoping that they will ask me to build some some little Audrey's because there are a couple of puppet makers in, in Colorado who've done the full-blown Audrey's before, but I want to kind of take the, the little baby uh-huh. Audrey's to a new level you know, with because I've already got the an old Maxwell House coffee can, so I want to build the, the little one with some servos to have, have it actually be able to move and work independently, have somebody RC control it from... From off stage, but then have the the mid mid size Audrey that usually comes in with a, a fake arm holding the the pot and arm up into the Audrey, but have that so it looks like somebody's got a fake arm, and then sets it down on a table that you know clearly is open underneath, and that Audrey will continue to talk and, and move and, and, and interact with with
1: Seymour. Uh, That'd be cool. I mean, I, th- when you see that, that's the kind of thing that you really go, "This is what practical effects about." To see a full size Audrey doing its thing it's quite something I'm sure I would love to have seen that yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's Is a that, great I do something you'd
3: see these days yeah.
1: unfortunately. Sure. Yeah. CG <laughs> yeah it doesn't even try
4: but even things like they did some clever things like 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 had Rick Morris half speed so that when uh, when uh, act at half speed so when filmed at speed, they filmed that normal see it at normal speed it's all mm-hmm. spe- you know it's
1: all
3: very all dynamic f- yeah and yeah. a lot of things shot in reverse and things like yeah. that seem to remember
1: yeah Yeah. very cool what about you Cliff how are your memories of starting out
3: I I uh wanted to be a rock and roll star and that didn't pan out so I um I was at uh Central London Poly doing doing the first media studies course in the country which it was you know an ideal course for me because I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life that's why they're so popular I think (laughs) media studies courses um and I really went there because they had a good TV studio. It was right next to the BBC um, in Great Portland Street. And uh, and they had all these facilities to make good pop videos. So that's why I went, really. Um, but I got interested in, in makeup effects sort of while I was there. I saw The Howling, and that, that was the thing that really convinced me that I could probably do this for a living. Um, so I... I used to look at the two magazines that existed at the time and the one book, and that was about it. There was Is that no the Lee Bagan book. So, ah, uh, yeah, the Lee Bagan book came after, I think. There the was uh, there was the Corson book, which was mm-hmm. the oh, yeah. f- one that was really, uh, really instrumental, I think, in getting me interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh yeah no no courses no internet of course um so uh i just used to write to whoever was in charge of makeup effects of anything that was shooting in england the first person that i met as i said earlier was rick baker and gray stoke and I, a bit I of result a result for a first it was yeah, a, yeah. it was a bit <laughs> of a result and and bless him because i didn't have a portfolio or anything i was just vaguely interested you know i i was a film fan i knew every film that he'd done even the most obscure ones um, but, uh, I went along to, to meet him and just everything blew me away. And I thought, I can, I can't do this. So you got to see the Greystoke stuff. I got to see the Greystoke stuff and wow. it all looks so complicated. Was that at Uh, no, this was at Elstree. Elstree. Right, yeah. right. And I thought I can never do this. It's far too complicated. Um, but I sort of, I sort of kept pottering away and then they were doing a film called Company of Wolves at Shepparton, um, which Chris Tucker was in charge of. And I knew of him because I'd seen The Elephant Man. Um, so I wrote to him, and he said, come along. And uh, and I think within about 20 minutes of, of getting there, he'd given me and another chap who was there, who I assumed worked for him, um, a head, which was a sort of stretching wolf head, and said, this is on set at 2 o'clock. Can you do something with it? And... Um, and so myself and the other wow. chap who was there who was dave elsie who'd also written to chris tucker at the same time and been invited along on the same day got to play around with this sort of stretching uh, stretching head and add a few balloons under the skin and things so like it was that. that legit job it was and like, and dave it was it. like a a, a legit <laughs> job and afterwards you know i got talking to dave and dave said well well how long have you been working for chris and i said well since this morning and he (laughs) said well me too and and that's (laughs) how our friendship started Um, i mean to take a chance on two
1: youngers that's that's amazing well well, yeah
3: i mean that's uh, that's christian i mean the the interesting thing about about doing that was that i saw the difference between english (laughs) makeup effects and uh and american makeup effects and the English ones, w- I mean, all those things were were held together with bits of string, literally, um, and magnets, and uh, um, bits of dental acrylic, and, and elastic bands, and um, but it all worked, you know. And and I suddenly, through meeting Chris, saw that I could probably get in the industry at some point, point. Um, and I I sort of uh, I sort of made stuff in my bedroom for. for about a year and a half, two years, I guess, mm-hmm. and um, started making masks. And one Halloween, there was a friend of mine who had a, um, a hair stall in Covent Garden Market, and he started selling some of my masks. And a researcher from a kid's TV show um, called Number 73 invited oh me God, on the I show. Um, and I went along and with a few masks and um, entered this sort of uh, TV show which was a live thing on a Saturday morning, and while I was on, someone rang me up and offered me a job on Rawhead Rex, and that was the first. That was wow. my first job.
1: Have you got video of that? <laughs> <episode> <laughs> <with me>? I <laughs> bet I, I could try. Burnt it. Yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember that yeah, show. I loved al- it. It al- was along chaos.
3: Along with my final year project, uh, which, was, uh, which was an which was Dark Crystal sort of rip off thing with loads of puppets. Um, so, so yeah, I, w- I, went along, uh, I went along and did a few weeks' work on, on Rawhead Rex, which was a low-budget thing that Clive Barker had written. And while I was there, um, there was a mold maker there called John Schoonerad, and he said, uh, oh, if you like Clive Barker, you should go and talk to Bob Keane. He's doing another movie with Clive Barker that Clive's directing. Um and I knew of Clive because I was a big horror fan and I was writing a lot of stuff at the time, writing a lot of horror stories. And um, and so that sounded uh, you know, a perfect fit. So well, I went along and met, met Bob. Um, and that hadn't actually started at the time. There was about a three-month sort of hiatus before it actually started. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just uh, did a couple of jo- jobs for Bob, while we were waiting for Hellraiser to start. So I did a thing called White of the Eye, which was directed by Donald Kamal, who right. um, directed Don't Look Now with Nick Rogue. And of course I was a big Nick Rogue fan because yeah, I've yeah. always been a big da- David Bowie fan. So, uh, you know, um, Man of to Earth uh, came up. So that, w- that, was, that was great to, to meet him. Amazing. And, and while I was there actually, they sent along, uh, Nick Dubman also turned up to for the same job. Um and uh, and I remember Nick saying to saying to the producer on well, you've got you've got uh, Cliff and, and Nigel Booth here who who Bob had also sent along. Um you know, and you you don't need me really. You've got two two of the the best young makeup artists around, which was wow. kind of very nice but not true. <laughs> not in my <laughs> case anyway. <laughs> You've got a very good sculptor and a bit of a chancer.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I mean, they must have seen something in you to leave you with, you know, that stuff. Like, you, yeah, we're joking about you, you being left with that, um,
3: the wolf, the stretched-out wolf head. But obviously,
0: yeah, did Chris you did, you, did you stay stay in touch with Chris after yeah,
3: that? Yeah, I'm still in touch with Chris. Yeah, I, I, yeah he he's he's a lovely uh, man he's a lovely man i very scary to to <laughs> this day i mean I, I would never have liked to work for him but um but yeah uh dave Elsie and me used to go over to his house in Pangbourne, which was like this big mansion um and sit in his front room and look at all these beautiful uh beautiful books of of uh photos of all the movies that've been on, photos that no one's ever seen. You know, well, I'm, I've always kind of, of the thought movies. of of Chris as
0: the the English Dick Smith.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and 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 um, yeah, I mean, he was he was very good friends with Dick. You know. Dick always used to come and see okay, Chris and, and, uh, in in Pangbourne Towers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at, at, the last time I went over to Chris, actually, I. At, um, I'd, I'd only really ever seen the front of his house. I'd only ever seen the sitting room and the and the makeup room and the, and his photography studio. And I went over for dinner with my wife, and he he, he sort of um, he sort of said, "Come into this wing here. I haven't been in here for twenty years, you know." And, and <laughs> opened opened these doors onto some of the most amazing things you've ever seen that he still had, you know, stuff from stuff from June and stuff on the Elephant Man, p- uh, painted wax. Wow head of the Elephant Man, which was exquisite. Um, you know. But the fact he's got parts of his house that he hadn't been to for years. That's quite um, a not You know, it's a it's a huge place. But Chris had always been very interested in photography. Um, so all his photographs were, were beautiful. I imagine that. there was a lot of research. Involved.
0: He gave me some lovely <laughs> pictures for the first yes. edition of my book, which, you know, my first trip over here was in 2008 when I was still doing research for it. And um, it, when I went to IMATS, mm. and Neil Gordon goes, Doc, come over here." And, and it's Chris Tucker. Oh God. And I was dumbfounded. I was star- yeah. so starstruck. And he said, no, he's a, "I want you to meet someone."
3: He's a he's a really interesting man. I mean, when when we started playing around with translucent materials, which was about nineteen ninety one, ninety two, when when uh, we first started Creature Effects, I remember going to. Going to chris's house with one of these heads that we'd made, which was a, a translucent urethane um uh for for Steve norrington's first film Death Machine, which we were very proud of, you know, and we took this took this thing to Chris and said, oh, and he sort of said, "Oh yes, I was making silicon heads actually uh, twenty years ago you know <laughs> and uh <laughs> you know he d- he d- he did a lot of this stuff that we now take you know for granted he'd yeah. actually done it and thrown it away you know
1: <laughs> wow that's amazing isn't yeah.
3: it that's very cool yeah because i
1: remember you doing a silicone makeup on as an advert wasn't it with the
3: yeah i mean that the i think i think that was probably the first silicone makeup that was done certainly in europe we've been talking to gordon smith and dick um and gordon had sent over some pieces from legend of the fall uh which were all encapsulated in urethane. Um, We had a guy working for us, a guy called Colin Ware, who'd done Mm -hmm. some fantastic work. Um, uh, We'd we'd seen some bodies he'd made for Prime Suspect. Um, And uh, he had encapsulated gelatin um, to stop gelatin melting, basically um so when we started looking at, at the silicon stuff he said well how about encapsulating it in cat plastic um so that that's how that whole cat plastic thing came around i think wow. we were actually the first people to do it what year was this this would have been about 92 93 something like that wow. so it really was what right at the beginning mm. um and uh know our, our main our main sort of thrust was that we were trying to make do makeups that were reusable <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> which which was kind of the wrong approach for using cat plastic but it was it was a it was a a big process in those days um yeah. because there wasn't we there weren't any platinum based silicons you know i remember the so
0: first time i'd heard about encapsulated silicone it was being encapsulated with silicone yeah so you really there was
3: not yeah. an well, edge you could, yeah. could blend well, off we, we tried yeah. so many things i think but there, Well, there, there was wasn't
1: that a and b easy i mean Cosmosil had one i think yeah that i mean that.
3: i i i know our first our first silicon appliances were tin silicon um and uh, yeah there, there was, was one there in was the a, states there was liquid a, there was a was lot of oil involved mm-hmm. in uh, that y- that used to seep through the barrier and all sorts after after time i know when we sent the pieces over to dick smith um he said oh well it's a good idea but the but the cat plastic is a bit brittle it's a bit hard you know stuart freeborn was using this cat plastic 20 years ago maybe right. you should talk to stuart about was getting this cat plastic from. Um, and which cat plastic so, did you use? Uh, it was straightforward glass Right, right. Um, but what we used to do is, is um, we used to uh, make it softer by adding something called dibutyl phthalate to it, which is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Can't even know laughs> is these now days. completely banned. You yes. can't get that anywhere. But they used to use it in kids' toys when we were using it. Um, so, so um, yeah, that, that advert you, ma- you mentioned was the first... The first one that had widely been used, yes, I right. think. What was it Allied Dunbar or something? Yeah, it or? was a, it was a sort of Grim Reaper makeup for Allied Dunbar. Yeah, um, we had actually uh, done a film called Incognito uh, a couple of months beforehand, and there was actually um, some encapsulated silicon pieces in that. There was a guy, I think, who gets a. a pencil stuck in his eye or something and that was an encapsulated piece um so i think that was actually the first but but certainly uh, the allied dunbar thing um, i remember was that. the first one that i I'd, I'd written about yeah no i remember <laughs> um, that, so that, that one. that's that's the only reason we you know people knew we'd done it as, as i as i wrote something for for one of the magazines right
0: i'll we'll have to see if we can track that down
3: yeah, yeah. it was uh it was was the the magazine that it's featured in was one of those uh, oh, like cinematography right? No, oh, okay. um, uh, SFX uh, models and models or something. I, c- I can't remember. That. It's probably down there somewhere. Okay, <laughs> we, <laughs> can, we can probably we can probably look it up. That would be good. Yeah, because I remember
1: using um an animated in nineties no, 94 it would have been 94 <coughs> mm. and, and, and bodies for Mary Riley and they were cast in skin flex from BJB yeah, I mean uh, I, I remember no one was using silicon really
3: well I, big I remember either. I remember there was the, the first sort of silicon head that we did was for a TV thing called Cold Lazarus and we made one head for it and I think animated made another head um of albert finney yeah and i think that was probably silicon and and so we were both doing things at much the same time yeah i think yeah um but i i remember our, our first translucent heads the ones we did for death machine wa- were because we'd seen the stuff that adi had been doing for demolition man i think um which they used uh something called esd 40 which was a which was a, a sort of uh a plasticized urethane Right. and um, we found something very similar over here called Hyperlast um, and then we went on to something called Cellacast after that which we we did a we did a fake head of Sean Connery for first night um, oh my god with the Richard Gear. yeah that and, 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 and that was <laughs> a it was a it was a really really nice head actually although the production told us we wouldn't be allowed to um, to cast Sean Connery's head so we actually got a we got a cast from Never say never again. I think and and uh, and aged it up and made a very nice head of him. Um, and I remember him actually coming into our little workshop, which was a porter cabin at uh, at Pinewood, mm-hmm. and saying that was a, l- a lovely head you did, boys. But why didn't you ask me to do a life cast? And we <laughs> said, well, your people <laughs> wouldn't allow it. Um, but that but that cellar cast was was a good material. It felt it felt a lot like silicon. Unfortunately, it wasn't UV stable, so. Um, so during the course of the film, he, he changed, uh, changed he race. Mm. <laughs> 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 um,
1: that's quite fun. There
4: was a bunch of those things that you'd paint them before the thing. And then by the time you got it on set, like Kona thing was one, wasn't it? And it was Evergreen. Yeah. Evergreen. Because yeah. I remember
1: there was some square pusher stuff that Millennium did. Were you involved in that? That were being cast at yeah. like they like like an eight year old girl they cast her in sections and yeah. then made a body and it was it was like a race against time. I remember Waldo I think painting it and it was having to paint it with um tree rinks yeah to that get we, it to we, stain.
3: we painted everything with tree rinks originally and and also did the D- Dave Elsie reminded me the other day because we were working together is is that we were probably the first people who ever f- used to flick paint onto onto uh, heads that that whole flicking uh, thing that became so popular for makeups. yeah um, it's just kind of like and and standard is now is for skin the illustrator. Sort of kind of thing we did yeah there, I mean there weren't skin illustrators yeah 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 I don't think I saw skin illustrator until I went to the first first makeup show in in LA I think that was the first time that, that I'd seen any skin illustrator yeah um, yeah, well, it been real
1: color before that, I guess, but it wasn't. Yeah, there it was wasn't something that a lot of people used. No, know. it was, was super color and the RCMA palettes. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I Cause mean, go, foam, go, yeah. I mean,
3: going back to those those Chris Tucker photos. I mean, th- you know, they were they were foam painted with rubber mask grease paint, and they look immaculate. You know, uh, so anyone who who sort of says they can't, you you can't make foam look good. Yeah, you know, I, I just yeah. had had someone they ask they me I need to see those photos
0: In a message just. I think I, it was just after I'd gotten here. I was in Falmouth already. Mm. <clears throat> and he was asking me about must-haves for the kit. And he said, what about rubber mask grease paint? Mm. And I said, it's not being used a lot these days. But, mm. you know, better to have it not need it. And you cert- it's certainly something that would, will, will work with, with what he's talking about using it for. Yeah, I think the tr- whole
3: translucency th- thing in, in makeup really started, um, you know, when, it, when Jurassic Park came out, we, p- we basically thought we'd all lose our jobs within a few years. And it, and it came about really as a reaction to that, going on set with something that looked good to the eye as opposed to just looking good on camera. Mm. And, you know, phone makeups can look brilliant um, on camera. But they often look a bit crepey to the eye, mm-hmm. and and you didn't have that with a silicon head or whatever. Yeah, um, and that was that was the main reason it came about. But I think, you know, I still think that we use silicon far too much. Um, we use it for things that that really that it's not the right material for. Well, Foam yeah. seems
0: to be making quite a resurgence. Yeah, which absolutely. I'm thrilled about
3: because I think it's my favorite thing I to mean, do. I mean, you know, you can you can. It, it actually, it actually glues to the face as, as, as regards to just being anchored, which I think, you know, mm. I, don't, I don't think we've ever really cracked the gluing silicone thing. No, it's always um, a, it's always a little bit like, mm, you know, and <laughs>
1: you get the silicone detached
3: from the encapsulant yeah, sometimes on yeah, the Yeah, you structure. get that a lot, um, and and also the weight of silicon, you know, the the ri- the. The ideal material is probably out there, but I've stopped looking for it mm. um, Someone will find it. It's probably being used all the time in some other industry that we don't know about mm. i mean the the you know the the silicon stuff really came from from um medical prosthetics you know, and it's not such a big leap to go from from oh yeah they're using this in medical to they're using this in in mm. makeup. that's mm. not a big leap. But, you know, if you think about, oh, yeah, they're using something in the automobile industry or, you know, deep fishing, deep sea fishing or something like that, then that's a big leap for the imagination. Um, So, you know, the the, the ideal material that is lightweight, that you can stick, that's translucent, that you can paint easily, that's reusable, (laughs) Um, is is out there, (laughs) I'm sure. But we just haven't found it yet. Yeah and and we did spend a lot of time in the in the in the mid 90s trying to find it <laughs> when <Yeah. laughs> when no one was employing us and we had a lot of time on our hands yeah i mean i
1: think the, thim- the thing with silicon is it's it is it's one of those materials that's scalable because you can kind of show someone how to do it and to a degree, so long as someone's sort of in control of the catplastic and the actual act of filling, you can have other people yeah, involved.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, become, it's become far easier. I yeah.
1: mean, but foam is one of those things where every time you mix it's, it, it,
3: it's still kind of out. Go, yeah,
1: yeah, you know, it's it's got to be monitored constantly. Although yeah. Ian's yeah. probably like, mm, it's fine, what are you on about? <laughs> but it's fine. <laughs> the, but there, there is a certain well, magic to point. it. I think. <laughs> well, Because the <laughs> yeah, weather affects yeah. it and the humidity. Yeah. and
0: Yeah, air and I pressure. Guess if got a, yeah, I, I have to, it runs completely different at at the elevation where I live yeah than and then at sea level.
3: But you you know, you've you've got to remember that that when we were playing around with stuff in the early nineties, there weren't any commercially available kits. We were using we were using silicons that were used for encapsulate encapsulating electrical components was one that we I think it was some something made by General Electrics. Um Mm. I can probably even remember the name, um, but uh, but you know the weren't stuff the chemical the chemical companies that we use you know sort of the Life and the Jacobsons and all that they they didn't have any of that. Yeah, it was stuff. more for uh, an, insu- an electrical you know, insulation. So,
1: um, yeah, there was no imperative for them to try yeah, and produce something yeah, with a good so, name and and, yeah. and that met your needs. Yeah, that's quite a recent. You know, name. and i
3: i I remember I remember thinking, you know, the first the first time I saw. Uh, a silicon makeup glued on with more s- with more silicon. I remember thinking well that's like a that's like a, a sort of chemical thing that's going on on your face and that's probably not a great idea and things like that but but you know I mean we were using all sorts of strange things that probably weren't that safe at the time
1: <laughs> so we well, need to twiddle your microphone slightly yeah of course oh, <laughs> there
3: we go not okay. been sued though Cliff have you no not been sued yeah, that, died. Died. that one tied. <laughs> But like you say, it's just
1: what was going on at the time. I'm sure yeah. 30 years from now, they would be like,
3: what, you could buy sugar
1: in the shops? Yeah. Are you mad? I, I, re- I remember
3: <laughs> everything was, was tin silicon. There were no platinum-based silicons around. I think the only one there was, that guy Les Cook used to come around. Oh, I mean, my Ambecil. God, from Ambesil. And, uh, and it never worked you know, because it was so anything would make uh would uh, yeah, make I it mean, go wrong. Yeah, him coming around the know. college. But yeah, everyone used to hide from him, <laughs> bless him. You're Good not the first person himself. to have said that on yeah. this podcast. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> he I, made quite a I mark. Mean, I mean, we, Dave, and I used to physically hide when he came around. He's not the C latex guy, is he?
4: Sorry, he's not the C latex guy, is he? No, he's dead now. Oh,
3: yeah.
1: he passed he? away a few yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember, let's call yeah. was the company or the products. I don't know. They still going yes. Ambisil? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> So, yeah, so you were running foam, and then did you, you got to do a bit of everything. So what did you bounce no, around? No,
4: running foam, I, I, I had a little heyday. I went on to sort of like things like, because there's not many people doing it. They're doing it at Henson's, but I went on to... Um, did you work at Henson's? No. I was off the of job there, but I, I never took it for some reason. Um, I did, like, Inner Jones and the Last Crusade and the first Batman. Uh, yeah,
3: you famously did the Batman suit, so I remember and yeah. you had a little workshop. Well, I ended up having a workshop with you. In, in well, should we,
4: should we go to, to the chalk farm? Because um, you,
3: you were running Batman suits there. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. Which was which you think would nowadays? You think that was pretty straightforward. But they really didn't want a rubber suit.
1: Really? No. Were, were they still thinking they like rubber sort of? Well
4: I don't know what LMM they wanted. They hired it. they hired Bob Ringwood, the costume designer, who'd done all those lovely. He'd done *Scalibur* and he did the the. The David Lynch June thing, so mm-hmm. they saw those steel suits, I think, and they were all leather. Thought, oh, we we'll get that guy in because they were cool, and he didn't really have a clue. And I don't know quite know. I think it was Tim Burton actually decided he wanted rubber.
3: I remember the big thing was that they had to come out of the mold absolutely perfect. Right, yeah. yeah. they were. They weren't, the they weren't painted. They were. There yeah. were no seams on
1: them. We yeah. didn't have like a, like the superhero movies coming out like you do now. So that no, that suit little... we didn't see a suit like that before. No. There was like the lycra bodysuits. You know, oh, yeah. maybe but it was, but there hadn't co- been that many superhero movies really at the time in eighty nine. Was yeah, it? Well, there had been Superman.
2: Yeah, exactly. The so series. it was
1: like her, and it was Christopher Reeve's mm-hmm. body. You know, that was it. Or, you know, I don't even pat it out. I it think what
4: happened, and I, I've pieced it together, is that Batman came up, and Steve Norrington decided that he wanted to do the Batman suit. So he went to Tim Burton. He did a, he did a thing. He did a Captain Britain thing which I phoned for him, on Dave, David White. He had his live cast and did a Cats in Britain thing, which was lovely, and painted it all up. And he took it to, to a meeting. I, I don't know this for, uh, officially because it was sort of top secret at the time. But he took it to a meeting with Tom... Uh, Tim Burton. Tim Burton, sorry. And he, they liked it. Steve never got the job, but in Tim Burton's head, he saw the foam as, as a thing that he could do. He saw the potential. Potential of movie, it. Yeah, so he... Yeah. So then he, he got Vin Burnham involved through Rob Ringwood, and she was like a costume person. So, for a long, long, th- they ended up with foam. And they, it was, they kept changing the design of the, of the head. And as Cliff said, no one thought you could paint it mm-hmm. or they should paint it. And of course, when they, because when they, in those days, it was, you had to have um, union mold makers, you couldn't mold things yourself and the the head was in two pieces uh, and so there was a seam on it and that was a massive nightmare because they could never they didn't want to seam it and that hit the seam so in the end what happened was um, I kind of said to them look I think um, I'm gonna do a collapsible core and remold it myself and I think Nick was involved. I think they asked Nick if that was into possible. and I think Yeah, he was doing the Joker, wasn't he? He was so doing the Joker, doing and I said, yeah, that's probably possible. So it kind of got done behind the backs of um, Union Moldmakers, who I hope aren't going to hunt me down and kill me now. But um,
1: but it was a weird time. I remember that. I remember them. Uh, I remember on, what, that would have been 1888? Yeah, that would have been Batman, and I was on Moe Riley in '94, so only six years later. And that there was still that uniony thing, and then it was petering out by the time I was on Harry Potter. I remember there was a lot of friction. Well, it was it, it was with the younger people coming in, but they would work in a different way.
4: It was basically Bob Keane who got rid of it. Really, right. he just hired people, and you were doing live casts on Hellraiser. Oh you? yeah, absolutely. You we didn't have to we get We
3: union. were pretty much doing.
0: were collapsible um, core molds much of a thing at the time
4: no i don't know where where i saw it from actually i I just and i say a collapsible it wasn't it wasn't rob Defreitas clever it was just basically you know just a bit to come apart and and had one piece silicon jacket a thing with a jacket which was not revolutionary but um
1: it was a weird yeah it was weird that that whole union thing i mean over here it's it's not it's not the same as the american union that in, do you know what I mean? It was kind of like yeah. they had a way of mold making was just. I remember the molds were just like the mold makers got to make the molds because once the sculpt was done and it came into their domain, they mold it how molds are molded. That's yeah. what they do, and they,
4: did a, and they did a beautiful job. They did
1: a beautiful job, but there was at no point was a mold maker then going on to the person casting the material to say how, where would you like the seams, which happens now. Yeah, do you know what I mean? There's an interaction. It was just yeah. like, no, this is now my job. I'll do it the way I'm going to do it, and then you hand it on. And I remember hearing, you know, people like you know sanding things off to make molds easier and it's like no that's all the skin texture we need that do you know what i mean because yeah. they weren't prosthetic people that were making they, they were just mold not just but do you know what i mean they weren't they weren't part of a continuum they this was just their domain and then you had people coming in around the time i started that were like i'm making mold a certain way because i want to get this result and yeah, yeah that was new and that wasn't ju- that wasn't jiving with but the, they were the, doing the
4: bigger stuff. problem was is they also had to do the life casts Right. So you had to entrust them to to get your life class for you, and they never got a life class of Michael Keaton. Right. So they got his body for some reason, but he wasn't. They they come back without his head. So that was it. Never really fitted. Yeah, which is for
1: for a cowl is quite important. Yeah. I mean,
4: they, they took some very clever measurements. This is all before I was I was I was taken on. But um, right, right. anyway, it got done. No one got hurt. It's in history now. They look great. People seem obsessed with that suit. I'm always being sort of
3: people. Do
4: you have like a spare foam? No,
3: I, I still have one. Shut up! I still have. Uh, well, it's it's in it's in the loft at my mum and dad's house. But I still have a Michael Keaton foam. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. It's it's probably dust by I now. I haven't seen it for years. And I, <laughs> oh, know, it's not I really painted,
4: do so. It's probably it's probably.
3: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and it will be dark and and in a in a black plastic bag so maybe maybe I'm sitting on a fortune <laughs> like are you supposed to have which, it or are Warner Brothers going to track you down oh yeah I'm sure they'd track me down but I mean in those days it was it was quite possible to just go around the skips at Pinewood and nick anything you want I mean I had an alien egg for years from aliens <laughs> you know that's just what you used to do yeah yeah, before the internet um, and eBay and all well, this but, stuff. Yeah, was... and absolutely, you know, before. Uh...
4: I should say that, it, that I had, as as Cliff said, is I had a little workshop in in Kentish Town, and it was just me and I had Stuart Conrad working with me. So it was just two of us scratching our heads trying to work out how to do this thing, and it was it, it all got done. It was all very, um, you know, it, it 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 seemed like more like um, we were opening new ground than we were really.
1: Did you have people showing you stuff, or was it a case of you having to figure stuff out yourselves? back then you uh, do, think, do you remember going to someone saying how do you do this and them telling you or was it i did remember like, i off, do remember
4: ringing you. up Rob roboteen because they wanted a shine on it but they wouldn't they wouldn't um they couldn't paint it so i rung up i don't know how i did this i think warner brothers got me a number and i rung up Rob roboteen's workshop and i think i spoke to rob and asked him what he did on robocop because that had the, the right sort of sheen, and he said he, they had this stuff called Armorall, right? Which I think is for pu- buffing up car stuff. I think it's for, yeah, for, your, for cleaning you the tires car, or the dashboard. Which we don't have in this country, that, that actual product. But I think we worked out something it's kind of like, like WD forty. Yeah, I, th- I
3: think they were they were silicon sprayed. They were silicon yeah, spray. Yeah, yeah. Th- yeah.
4: Like so so, so that was that that was, that was the the, the um, you know so, so it's
1: that, that was good just that you to finish it. over the finished yeah. suit. You mean? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Because that's that's an oil that doesn't damage foam. I remember yes. being, you know, we used to use castor oil and silicon oil to lubricate the syringe, you know, the plunger yes. giant syringe. We yes. had the six-foot syringe for <laughs> filling out foams.
4: But I, I, I think we can get oil now. Yeah, sure sure now. I'm
1: sure can get it So the ease of all uh, of things and the, and the and the free-flowing information is so common now. It, it, it's really important to sort of set that scene of just how. Yeah, there's no. The, the, How would know you, you find this thing out? <laughs> the, to, <laughs> the information was with the have people to ring doing
4: up it. The, the guy who did Robocop and ask him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember starting doing foam uh, um, at animated, and it was Nick Williams that showed me running foam. I think, and David White helped me with bits when I got problems. But there were times where they were busy doing other things, and next door they were doing Judge Dredd, and I, Risa Kareem was there, and he would he had run foam I think for animated the year before on Frankenstein, and so. He was um you know very kind and helped me out but uh, that's the thing is like who do you turn to was it did you what a lot of this stuff you were just digging
3: new ground yourselves um no i mean i think i think you know it's always been a very small industry over here Mm -hmm. and and it was always it was always a very male dominated (laughs) industry so we were we were all kind of fanboys um so yeah, um, you did you did get a lot of information from other people. I mean, I I think when I went to Bob Keynes, I mean, I think I learned more in the first couple of weeks than than you know I have worked out in the last four years in my bedroom. You know, mm. um, I think that's the okay. case so, so same as anything, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, t- I
4: tell students when I teach them that you learn so much here, but your first week yeah in in on a proper job, you learn so much. Mind blowing, isn't it? When you're doing it in anger and it, 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 can't, it can't it can't go wrong. Yeah. Like it can at college, you have to you have to you know, you learn some more, don't you? So yeah. much more.
1: Yeah. And also you get to see people doing their thing. That's the thing. I think when you're working when you're surrounded by students, some may be working hard, some not, but when you actually see, you know, a, a sort of a, a professional with a deadline and a fire behind them, they get stuff done, you know. Perhaps that's not the best <laughs> expression to use. <laughs> 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 a fire in your ass. That's not you know what I mean. But yeah.
4: Also we should Alien 3, that was i fit, was that before Batman?
1: Alien 3 would have been after Batman.
4: After Batman, yeah. I think right. I got that. And that was quite a big one because Um I don't think Aliens was apart from the animatronic thing, I think most of Aliens hadn't really been in a full foam suit. Man. And I think when they when people had done Predator and things they hadn't just done up, just foamed a full suit. But when the, when the, when Tom and Alec came over, they said, "Why you, well, hey, you can do it in pieces? No, just do. We just do a suit, shall we? Just do the whole thing in one, and the head separate." And which seemed to be, it seemed logical to me because mm. I I knew that you you could get a whole boat bunch of whole box in the same room
3: and build an oven. Well, I don't know. I mean, the the raw head suit yes. was a whole yes. suit, wasn't but it? We, we were Apart crazy. from its arms and its and its legs.
4: But the, when the, they, when, when the, in America, when whole they big were done
3: so th- torso with a head attached to it. Yeah, it? That maybe that's where.
4: And that was kind of. Yeah, strange. but I think that was that was kind of
3: stupid. <laughs> yes, yeah,
4: <stupid>, yeah. <laughs> we didn't. We don't. And you, and that's the mold you, you gave us. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We'd we yeah. known the thought to break it up. No. But I think when they did all the other big things like Predator, and they all were all done in bits. Yeah. And and the other alien. Yeah, the uh, the aliens, the aliens
3: were, were were bits assembled on. Yeah. On uh, yeah, diving suits, weren't they? Right, right, if right. I remember Rightly.
4: Apart from the animatronic thing which was 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 all foam. And and a lot of the queen was foam yeah. as well, but they not 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 the yeah, whole suit. If
0: I recall that queen mold was maybe the largest foam mold. Oh Christ, yeah.
3: And uh, and again, I mean they were those molds were hanging around for a long time, I can remember, uh doing some casting a load of of stuff out of those alien queen molds. Um in the '90s, for with Dave Shiguri, Uh Dave Shiguri, he was the yeah. phone guy. He he? he was yeah. the phone guy. I mean, he's uh, yeah, particularly polyphone. Yes, that's right. And the person responsible for for what we always use for for masks, which was clay dispersed latex. That was latex that had clay dispersed into it. Right. Which was something that he came up with um, on Greystoke for Rick Baker for the for the chimps' feet. To make them more hard wearing, right? And uh, so yeah, clay dispersed latex was was the thing that I used to make all my. All my I assume that out. was
4: just. I assume that was a. No, it wasn't. Uh, it,
3: um, it was something that he. I think people have forgotten with, about it, haven't with they? With Baker and gone to Slough Rubber, <laughs> who was who were where you used to get get all your latex needs from, <laughs> and <laughs> um, and uh, said, yeah, can you do a latex that's got clay dispersed in it to make it harder i I remember i remember dave elsie telling me one day that he'd come up with something called plubber and he wouldn't tell me what it was <laughs> and he just mixed plaster into, <laughs> into <laughs> latex and called it plubber that's fantastic <laughs> yeah. i remember
1: on the mummy i think it was the first mummy he yeah, it's the first mummy and they had some breakaway heads and brian best had made this breakaway so we experimented with, like, vermiculite and plaster mm. and all these kind of yeah. mixes. And I think Nick Dubbin penned it Bryonite, which was good. <laughs> I remember. I, th-
3: I think uh, that was done before then, actually. Yeah, we, we used to mix like vermiculite can and plaster. Oh, I'm and sure it had off. been, but yeah. I don't think he had that formula, so he yeah, kind of worked on I th- it. I think there was something something like that done on The Hunger, wasn't there? That's, uh, anyway.
1: Yeah. yeah. I don't think you knew about it, though. There's nothing new. No. No, this is just people rediscovering things. <laughs> Absolutely. It's yeah. all
3: rediscovering the so really I,
4: I, I think Alien Alien Two is where we first, and I think I came up with it where we just foamed onto 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 lycra suits, which is a big thing. So you could just zip him up the back and put him in. I think it's industry standard now, but I don't think it'd been done before. Right. Who are those people that used to make the, the lycra? Gandalfi.
1: Yeah, Gandalfi. Yeah. 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 Used to and uh, they'd make them to your. They them. were in Soho, weren't they? They were like, yeah yeah lycra suits made to order. Yeah. And they On Baker York.
3: Street actually, I think they were. Right, right. On Baker Street, first of all. Yeah.
4: But I think we just had Tom's life cast. <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite. A little bit farther
1: yeah. up.
0: Yeah. So that was quite cool. That's that's Cliff and Ian. What a pair.
1: They're awesome, aren't they? I had a good time chatting
0: with them. Yeah, they're amazing guys. Yeah, that was such a fun evening.
1: But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get the second part out soon. I think I've got nothing more to add, other than obviously, as always, if you have anything you want to ask or you can think of someone you'd like to speak to, get in touch at Stuart and Todd at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, and and please leave send us a you know leave us a voice message uh, on the website, and we'll we'll play it. On on an up
1: upcoming episode. There's just a one button you press and, and you can record direct from the website. You don't need to download anything special. We like to hear people.
0: Even if it's nothing more than just letting us know who you are and where you're
1: listening from. Yeah, that'd be cool. Just to find out where people are listening from. And, uh, and how you listen to the podcast. Do you do, do you do it when you're working? Do you do it when you drive? Do you do it to spite yourself because you hate your ears? I don't know. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts this week because I've been um, working in the workshop all week. And I've been burning through all kinds of stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like yeah, the to two to you recommended to, to me,
0: I really enjoyed.
1: What did I recommend to you?
0: It was um, Akimbo. Oh, yeah. I listened to a couple of Akimbo episodes.
1: Seth Godin. It's very good. Seth Godin, yeah. He's an amazing thinker and speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And also... Um, very
0: thought-provoking
1: stuff. I listen to, I listen to a mix of things as well, like a lot of NPR stuff, like Planet Money, um, because I don't really know anything about finance and they, 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 they talk about money in, in, in a very interesting way, I think. Um, I'm going through them now. Do, 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 loads of BBC ones as well. w yeah. WTF with Mark Maron. That's usually quite good fun. Um, Alexi Sale podcast, the Blind Boy podcast. I keep going on about yeah. that, but I really like that one. Yeah. one oh, there's a new one. I haven't listened to that one yet. Uh, Red Carpet Rookies. Now, that's a podcast I, 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 I want to give a shout out to. Um, Red Carpet Rookies is very interesting. Guy chats to people from uh, film and TV and stuff. He's spoken to a fair few people from all different disciplines. It's very, very good, like production designers, hair designers, costume designers, writers, editors um producers production designers um, and and it's good to get a good clear picture because that's one of the things that i really like about working on set is when you get to chat to nice people in different departments and they do something that's got nothing to do with what you do and you learn a lot you know just chatting to people about what they do and you get an idea of uh, you know what what occupies them fully that that i haven't even considered
0: Yeah. yeah you may find find an interest that
1: oh I
0: think I might like doing that.
1: Yeah. Or at least you, you at least have an appreciation. I mean, that would be a good thing to, to do. I think like spend a week in every department and just get a feel for what they do and sympathize with their worries and understand what it is they're trying to do better. Cause I think sometimes yeah. you have these little silos on set and people don't appreciate what other people have to put up with. So they just focus on what they want to do.
0: Or even, or even have a clue what, yeah. what they do. Yeah.
1: Cause makeup being called vanities or
0: whatever. And it's like,
1: fuck mm. that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. yes don't don't do that people
1: i remember working on this job actually it was, a, it was a job with ian we were doing a commercial it was a night shoot it was a commercial for toyota we would made these creature suits and um this guy had showed up in the makeup tent and he w- we were like where the car park was it was like the first tent that you come to was this big marquee where we were doing yeah. makeups and so he popped his head in and he saw us putting on all the costumes, you know the makeup and stuff And uh, his question was, oh, does anyone know where the grown-ups are? (laughs) It's like, fuck you. (laughs) Wow. Because I'm, you know, putting color on something, that must mean I'm playing because you see that at school. It's like, okay. (laughs) Wow. You know, part of the start of a 15-hour shift. I'm like, yeah, cheers, thanks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You want to walk out of here on your own or be carried out? yeah it wasn't nice
1: but it's one of those things i think this is the thing and again this is one of the motivations for us i think to do this podcast is to is to champion those things that happen in this industry that are mostly hidden because you don't see them on set because all the making stuff and all that all that graft happens away from the studio that happens in a workshop in advance and so you show up with this thing and There are times where I've had people one occasion, somebody said, oh, those things, they just come out of molds, don't they? I was like, yes. Where the fuck do you think the molds come from? And I'm not saying, you know, that putting on a rubber nose is the same as curing cancer, because it's not. I'm not suggesting that. But I'm just saying, if you think it's just showing up and dancing around with a powder brush. But anyway, you know it, I know it. Hopefully the people listening know it. Thanks very much for listening. Cheers, mate. Speak to you later. All right. Later. Bye. Bye. You can get in touch through our Facebook page or email us at Todd at gmail.com. Check the show notes for more information. If you enjoyed this episode, tell someone else and help us grow by sharing it on social media.
0: Thanks for listening.
2: Mm.